You're listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both blessed and challenged by this teaching. Psalm 91, uh, verses, I'm going to read to you uh, tonight, verses 1 through 4. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. Uh, I know that we have not gotten very far in Psalm 91, and, and this time I really don't care about that. The last time I taught verse by verse, and I just don't feel the need to do that this time. And so I'm asking the Lord what exactly he wants me to focus on and where he wants me uh, to, to, to teach from in this passage. And, and this week I was particularly stuck uh, on the word snare. Uh, if, if you do a research, if you do a search in the word of God for all the places that the word uh, snare is used, it's really quite fascinating to me, especially because Psalm 91 uh, describes a snare as a fowler's trap. If you look at that, uh, it says that God will deliver me from the snare of the fowler. I'm a visual learner. And so I love that the writer of Psalm uses, Psalms 91 uses a picture of the fowler snare to describe the traps set by the enemy. A fowler is a trained bird catcher, and a snare, of course, is his trap. If you look at that word in the original language, in the Hebrew, it actually means bait layer. That's really important, and you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss the fact that Psalm 91 is telling us that God can deliver us from the traps that the enemy set, and that he is a bait layer. Do you understand that? A bait layer. When I was a little girl growing up, my, my brother Ron, he was an avid outdoorsman and he, he loved to hunt and he was good at just about everything he did uh, in, in that area. And he loved to do, to trap. He set traps, and, and one of the, the areas that he would, one of the animals that he would trap is muskrats. And, and so, for whatever reason, he agreed to take his little sister with him when he was trapping muskrats, probably because we had to do it at the break of dawn. We had to go check the traps, we had to reset them, we had to rebait them. And he would drag me out of bed to go and teach me the ins and outs of trapping. It was interesting that he stressed three things. He said, Rhea, the proper placement of the trap is vital. You can't just, you just can't haphazardly throw a trap out there. You have to set that trap where you know that animal is going to just happen to, to come upon it. It's going to surprise them. They're not going to be ready for it. And then he said the most important thing, though, is proper bait, Rhea. You've got to use the right bait if you want to catch them. And so the right bait for a mouse is not the right bait for a muskrat. The right bait for a muskrat is not the right bait for a bear. You have to be really careful about the bait that you use. Can I tell you that our enemy is a bait layer? And he is very careful about the bait that he lays to trap you and I. The bait that, that would catch me may not be the bait that would attract you. But the bait that attracts you, I, I might be able to walk right past and never be enticed by it. It's important that you understand 
that the enemy of our soul, the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, is a calculated bait layer. But God's word promises that he will deliver us from the snare of the fowler. Uh, Some of you are sitting here tonight snared. You're sitting here tonight trapped by the bait of the enemy. You took the bait and you found yourself trapped. Maybe trapped in addiction. Maybe trapped in in despair and hopelessness. Maybe trapped in anger and rage. Maybe trapped in jealousy. Maybe trapped in whatever. What is it? You know the bait that will trap you. Some of you are sexually, you're in a sexual relationship that you know you should not be in, but you took the bait of the enemy. He enticed you and drew you in, and now you find yourself trapped. He's a bait layer. And I love that Psalm 91 calls him that. And and the goal for the enemy uh, is, is to lure us in with enticing bait. Because when the bait is taken, just like it works for a fowler and a bird, when the bait is taken, the trigger is released and the animal finds itself snared and entrapped in the net. But here's the interesting thing. The more a little bird struggles while he's in the snare, the more entrenched it becomes. And all attempts to free itself will only cause additional injury and intensify the entanglement. Isn't that interesting? All attempts to free itself will just get them further entangled. Some of you are sitting here tonight and you've been trying to free yourself from the trap of the enemy. But can I just tell you that only Jesus can do that for you. And he promises that he will deliver you from the snare of the enemy. We just have to cry out to him. We just have to cry out to him. And stop trying to do it ourselves. While in the trap, the bird is at the mercy of the fowler who has cleverly remained concealed until the bird takes the bait that he's laid. When the writer of Psalm 91 declares that, Psalm will, that God will deliver us from the snare of the fowler, he has in mind the traps and the snares of the enemy of our soul. The traps that he uses to ensnare us and to take us captive. And trust me when I say this, that the bait is always effective and it's always enticing. And the goal is to get us deeply ensnared. The enemy can't touch us. When we are the secret place of the most high God, the enemy cannot touch us. But his goal is to entice us and lure us out from undercover. He wants us out from the protection of the most high. He wants us to bring, he wants to bring us down to his domain. Where he can ensnare and entrap us. That's the kind of enemy that we we serve. God wants to spring us from any trap that the enemy uses to ensnare us. He wants our soul to go free from all that's trying to hold us. In Luke 4, 16 through 19, Jesus is in the synagogue. And he stood up uh, and he quoted from Isaiah 61. And he applied it to himself. He announced that he was sent to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. It's why he came, to set the captive free, to release you from the traps that the enemy has set for you. Psalm uh, 124 says, our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. A bird caught in a snare is powerless to help itself. All it can do is cry out for a deliverer 
who is strong enough to break the snare and provide a means of escape. Do you know that the Bible says that no temptation has come upon you and I except what is common to man. And when we are tempted, he will always provide a way of escape. But you see, here is the problem. We don't always take it because remember, the bait is enticing. It's yummy. Uh, sin is tasty for a season. Can I just tell you, sin is tasty for a season. Trust me, I know. But in the end, it leads to death. I promise you. The Bible says, let the older women teach the younger. And men, I'm just going to throw you into this as well. But, but I'm older. And let me just tell you what I've learned. Sin is tasty for a season. But in the end, it will always, without a doubt, lead to death. And the enemy, he uses that to entice us and to lure us out. And he wants us to take the bait and to get trapped. But the Lord says, no temptation. That bait can't tempt you. It's just what's common to man. And if you ask me, I will always give you a way of escape. But we have to choose to take it. Because that bait looks tasty. But little do we know that it leads to death. As I said, the proper bait is important when setting a trap. <laughs> it's interesting to me that, that there are all kinds of websites that are devoted to, to, to trappers and, and telling them about the proper bait. If you Google it, it's so interesting to me. Trappers do not waste their time uh, setting a, a trap with the, with the wrong bait. And so they, they go to a lot of uh, difficulty to try to find the proper bait for whatever they want to trap. And did you know that you can catch a... a a skunk with grape jelly, that that will work for them every single time. Or a coyote. We have a lot of coyotes near us. And do you know that a coyote is attracted to watermelon slices? The proper bait is important when setting a trap. And can I just tell you that, that, that while uh, earthly uh, trappers here on earth, human trappers will study an animal and learn what will entice them and, and they will use that to bait them. They don't waste their time on something the animal won't be attracted to. They study it. And can I tell you that we have an enemy of our soul who studies us. He is calculated. He is not in any hurry because when he gets you, he wants to get you good and he wants to keep you trapped. And so he knows the proper bait. He's studied your life. I love the, the scripture in Job where, where God is, uh, Satan appears before God and, and he says, Satan, where have you been? And, and he says, I've been roaming the earth, looking. He's looking for vulnerabilities and weaknesses. He's studying people so that he knows what trap, what bait will entice you and get you ensnared. Don't be unaware of the enemy's schemes. It's interesting, as I studied this this week and I, I was looking at the snares, I, I thought that I would just teach on snares this week and maybe go to perilous pestilence next week. And, and so I began a study on all the places that that word snare was used in the Bible. And Because if the enemy is setting snares for us, I don't want to be unaware. I want to know what his snare looks like. And, and so I got me a notebook and, and I just listed all the places that the word snare was used. And it was fascinating to me. Because it wasn't just one or two places. I ended up with a long list and, and I thought I can't just teach that in one sermon. I can't squeeze them all together in one sermon. I won't do it justice. And so if you just bear with me for a couple weeks, I want to look at these snares. 
I don't want to be in any hurry to get through this scripture because these snares are fascinating. And if we are aware of his snares, of his traps, we won't be as tempted to take the bait. One of the places that I saw uh, that the enemy, the word of God, and the one I want to look at tonight, one of the references to snares, is, is in Proverbs 29, verse 25. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn them. Turn there. Tonight, I want to look specifically at the snare of the fear of man and how Scripture says that the fear of man will prove to be a snare. Look at that passage in, in Proverbs 29, verse 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. I particularly like that in the Amplified. Let me read it to you. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever leans on, trusts in, and puts his confidence in the Lord is safe and set on high. That's interesting to me because that word trust in is the exact same word that's used in Psalm 91 too, that says, my God in whom I trust. And it's also the same word that's used in Psalm 91, verse 14. Let's look at that one as well. Uh, Psalm 91, verse 14 says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he's known my name. It's interesting to me that those very words, the fear of man brings, snare, brings a snare, but whoever leans on, trusts in, and puts his confidence in the Lord is safe and set on high. Those are the very same words. So what does it mean to fear man? Fearing man is when we care too much about what others think and what others say about us. Everybody wants to be wanted. Everybody wants to fit in. Everybody longs to be affirmed and appreciated. Everybody aches to know that they're accepted and that they belong. We search for that in others, but, but we're un unaware or we forget that we already have that in Christ. The Bible says that we are accepted in the beloved and dearly loved, that we are chosen by him, that we might be rejected by men, but we are chosen by God. Do you understand that, that you've been handpicked by God, that he has set his affection on you? That he is already pleased with you. You don't have to earn his approval. You don't have to earn his acceptance. He couldn't be more pleased with you than he is right now. He loves you with an eternal, everlasting love. There is nothing that you and I could ever do to separate ourselves from that love. Do you, do you understand? That is a place of great acceptance. It's a, great, a place of great approval. You are approved in him. So why then do we look to others to, to, to either affirm us or, or approve us? It grieves me to think of the power that we give to others in our life. The power to either validate us or deflate us. We follow what the world says is acceptable, what the world says uh, is, is, is valuable, what the wor world says makes us worth something. We do what others do and, and, and don't think for ourselves. Or we use, the, uh, we, we, we use what they say versus the word of God as our measuring line. We fear rejection so much that we will compromise the truth to gain acceptance. 
I see this all the time in churches. I will tell you, they compromise the word of God because they need attendance. I have a, my friend Beverly who comes here to teach. She's, she's pastoring a church right now. And before she took that church over, I said to her, Beverly, don't you ever compromise the word of God to get attendance. Don't you ever compromise the word of God to get money in an offering plate. Because when we do that, that is because we fear man more than we fear God. And I will tell you, church, that one day I will stand before the, the Lord and I will give account for every word that I've said. I will give account for everything that I've done. The Bible says that teachers will be judged more harshly than the rest. But see, when we fear man, we'll change what, what we want to say, what God says we should say in order to gain your approval or your acceptance. We fear rejection so much that we'll compromise that truth to gain acceptance. When we fear man, we will hide and not correct. We will, we will not challenge wrong thinking or hurtful behavior. We will listen to gossip instead of stopping it in its tracks. We will participate in tearing somebody down instead of building them up. One of the biggest problems in fearing man is that we fear man and so we trust in what they say or think we should be doing or behaving because we fear the repercussions if we don't. Matthew 10, 28 says, do not fear those who, ki who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We need to not fear the temporal and the opinion of man. We need to live our lives in light of eternity and focus on pleasing God and not man. We know that we struggle with fear of man when people's opinion of us, their approval, their acceptance, their attitude towards us, or the fear of them withholding love or affection uh, from us becomes our master. It becomes all we think about. Earning their approval becomes our focus. We lose sleep over it. It steals our joy and robs us of peace. We know we struggle with the fear of man when we find ourselves withholding truth or sugarcoating it because we don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be excluded. We know we struggle with the fear of man when we're more concerned about man's opinion of us than we are about God's opinion of us. We know we struggle with the fear of man when we need people to tell us how valuable we are and affirm us. We know we struggle with the fear of man when we strive for position, for power, for promotion in order to validate us and make us feel worth something. We know we struggle with man when we're arrogant and prideful and we make sure everybody knows how great we are because God forbid they should think something else. We struggle with fear of man when we stay small and seclude ourselves because we think if they really knew who I was, they wouldn't like me. We know we struggle with the fear of man when we keep our house spotless in order to give the appearance of perfection hoping that people will think we have it all together and don't have a problem in the world. We struggle with the fear of man, believe it or not, when we try to control people. Because if I can control you, I won't ever get hurt by you. We know we struggle with the fear of man when we try to cover up and don't share openly because we fear judgment. And we don't want people to think we're weak. We fear man, we show we fear man when we need, have the need to impress and flatter so that we don't fear rejection. I could give you a list, I have a list, pages long, of all the areas that, that prove that we fear man. But can I tell you, one of the biggest things is when we use man for our mirror instead of God for our mirror. 
When I come to you to validate me, when I come to you to affirm me, when I need to be approved by you or my whole world falls apart, when I, when I need your attention, when I need your affection, do you see what happens is, is I start to fear you more than I fear God. And I come to you to validate me, to show me that I'm worth something. And you become my mirror where I catch my reflection and it tells me if I'm valuable or not. Do you see that? We use the world as our mirror. I love the scripture. You know, I always talk about this, that we are the apple of God's eye. Do you, do you know what that means? I've told you that. But here's what I've always left out of that, 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 that definition. The apple of the eye is really the little man of the eye. If I came up to Kelsey and I got really close and looked, at, looked her square in the eye, I would catch my reflection. I would see a little Rhea in her eye. Do you know that? I could see it in her pupil. And that's such a great picture because it says that we are the apple of God's eye. Do you know how we should live? We should live so close to him. We should live in such, such uh, the power of his presence so much that we're seeking his face and not his hand. See, that's where we go wrong. We go to him seeking his hand, seeking what he can give us, what he can do for us, instead of seeking his face, his presence. But when we want to know if we're worth something, if we're valuable, when we need to be affirmed or, 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 or seek the approval of someone, we need to get in the presence of God and catch the reflection of ourselves in his eye. We need to see ourselves the way he sees us. And you know where we do that? The Bible says that the word of God is like a mirror. Do, do you know that? That we look into it like a mirror, but the problem is so often we look into it and we go away forgetting what we look like. When I get up in the morning and I sit with the word of God, it becomes a mirror to me. I always say to Dave, you don't have to tell me I'm wrong. You don't have to point out my flaws. Trust me, when I get to the mirror, I'm going to see it. If I have a smudge on my face and I go to the mirror and I catch a reflection of that smudge, I'm not going to walk away and say, hey, there's a smudge on my face, am I? I'm going to remove it. I'm going to wipe it off. But so often we come to the word of God and we catch a reflection of ourselves in it because James tells us it's a mirror. And instead of believing the reflection in that word of God that says I'm approved by him, I'm loved by him, he has an unfailing love for me, he'll never leave me, he'll never forsake me, I'm set on high with him, that, that I am accepted in the beloved and dearly loved. Instead of believing that reflection, I go to you and I say, tell me who I am. Validate me. Let me find my worth in what I do. Maybe if I excel enough. Maybe if I have enough money in my bank account. Maybe if my house is big enough. Maybe if I'm pretty enough. Maybe if I'm thin enough. Maybe if, I, if I'm successful enough. Maybe I'll feel validated. Maybe if I can get that woman to look at me, I'll feel validated. Maybe if I can get that man in bed, I'll feel validated. Can I just tell you where you get your validation? It's in Christ and Christ alone. Let me save you a whole lot of pain and heartache. Find out what he says about you. Get your identity in him because fear of man will prove to be a snare. When I need you to affirm me, when I use you as my mirror, when I change who I am to please you, it is a snare, a trap by the enemy of our soul. Dave, I'm sorry. I know you don't want me to come down, but I'm coming down. I, I got to get close. 
I, I, I'm going to just talk to the women just because I see this every weekend in women. And men, maybe you don't do this, but I would find that hard to believe. But I know for a fact that we as women do this. We, we put on a mask and we'll become, we recreate ourselves. You see, by, the Bible says that God created us, that he knit us together in our, mama, our mama's womb, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, but somehow we don't believe that. And, and, and so we go to people all around us to tell us who we are. And if I go to Kelsey and she needs me to be a party girl and lots of fun, I will put on that mask and I will become that for her. Just love me, Kelsey. Just, just want to be with me. Just, just spend some time with me. Let, tell me I'm valuable. But I'll become who you want me to be. And then if I go over to Karen here and she wants me to be super spiritual, I'll put that mask on and I'll become super spiritual and I'll quote some scripture and I'll act like I'm all that in a bag of potato chips and I'll pray over her. Glory, hallelujah. How you doing, sister? And I will become who she wants me to be. Just please don't reject me, Karen. Tell me I'm worth something. Tell me I'm valuable. And then I'll go over to, to Dave, and if he needs me to be sweet and kind and lovable, and if he needs me to dote on him and wait on him hand and foot, I will become that. Just, Davey, please don't reject me. Don't leave me. I'll become who you want me to be. I'll wear the clothing you want me to wear. I'll dress the way you want me to dress. I'll be the person you want me to be. Just please don't reject me. And somewhere along the line, in our effort to please man instead of pleasing God, we forget who we are. There's a chair in my basement. I love it. Uh, Danny's sitting here. He'll remember this. Uh, we had this chair in our kitchen. And w when uh, I married Dave, our kitchen was country blue with geese, you know, anybody remember it. It was gross. <laughs> And, and this chair was country blue, and it sat in our kitchen by our desk. And, and, and I moved in with Dave, and it took me about, what, Dave, two weeks to change everything in that house. And, and so country blue came down out of that kitchen, and we, we did it over, and it was like a Kelly Green, do you think, is the forest green uh, kitchen. I, I had a Waverly wallpaper, if you remember that, and, and, and it was just a wild kitchen. And, and we painted the chair green to match the kitchen. And, and that chair, it really served a lot of purpose, but initially it was a chair that Dave had that was made by a carpenter and given to him. It was, it was just stained and it was a beautiful chair, but we painted that chair over and over and over to fit into whatever environment it was in. And so eventually, the boys got a Manchester United room. And, and you know, Manchester United is golden red. And, and they wanted a desk in their room. They wanted to, to have that desk in their room. And so we painted that chair gold. And we took it upstairs and put it by the boys' uh, desk. And it looked really good in their Manchester United room. But then the girls, they, they needed a desk in their room. And they studied more. And, you know, it just came easier for the boys. And, and so we moved the desk from the boys' room to the little girls' room. And their room was pink and white. And so the chair, are you following me, now got painted what color? White to fit in the girls' bedroom. And then they left home. And the chair got put out in the garage and... I would stand on it to change light bulbs, and, and if I needed something spray-painted, I would put on the chair, and I'd spray-paint it, and, and, and eventually it got down in our basement, and one day I was downstairs, and I was getting something out of the freezer, and I just happened to look over at the chair, and the chair, 
was really getting quite old and, and it was starting, the paint was starting to chip and I could see the country blue and I could see the forest green and I could see the white and the pink and the bright yellow all coming through. And I looked at that chair and the Lord spoke to my heart and said, Rhea, that's like you. You paint yourself to fit into whatever environment you're in. You blend into whatever environment you're in. And you forget that you were created by a carpenter. You were perfect just the way I created you, Rhea. But you were so busy fearing man and wanting the acceptance of man that you would paint yourself to try to fit in. Can I tell you, dear one, you were created by a carpenter. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are created in his image. If that doesn't give you value, if that doesn't validate you, if that doesn't give you worth, if that doesn't make you feel like you're all that in a bag of potato chips, I don't know what will. But I can promise you that Susie down the street and Tom at work, does not, they, they are not worthy <laughs> to be the one to validate you. How quickly we can forget who we are. And we can paint ourselves to fit in. We can put on the mask to be who people want us to be instead of who God says we are. We tailor ourselves in order to please man. Why do we do that? And then here's what happens is, you know, if we don't feel like we're accepted, if we fear that we're going to be rejected... Because that's what happens. If, it, because you see, uh, man's approval of us is really fleeting. You can see it with Jesus. One minute they're saying Hosanna in the highest, and the next they're saying crucify him. That's man's opinion of you. That, that, that is what, fearing man is always a trap because they could love you today and hate you tomorrow. And if I'm using you to measure my worth and my value on a bad day, you might think I'm really, I, I really am not worth anything, and you might ignore me, and you might reject me, and then what happens to my worth? And so what happens if we fear rejection? If I think I can't be myself around you because you might not like me and I have to change myself to fit in, I'm going to learn that I'm really not worth anything. I'm going to really start to believe that I'm not valuable and the way I am. And so I am going to go into hiding because I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to feel abandoned. And so I'll go into hiding and I'll put on that mask out front and, and you won't ever really see the real Rhea because she'll be in hiding because she doesn't feel acceptable the way she is. And what will happen then, because I don't feel safe, I'll put up walls to protect myself. If you've hurt me by rejecting me, if you've hurt me uh, by, by, with unkind words, if you've hurt me uh, by, by um, I don't know, talking about me or gossiping about me, I will learn to hide. I will learn to put up walls to protect myself. There's a scripture in Lamentations that says, the, the, the Lord has determined to tear down the walls around the daughter of Zion. And I love that scripture. Uh, one morning, Leslie and, I, Leslie and I used to pray together every morning about 4.30. And 
she would come over to my house and, and I would always be looking at the word of God before she came and because she had a 20 minute drive. And so when she showed up I, that day, I had been studying in Lamentations and I saw this passage that said, the Lord is determined to tear down the walls around the daughter of Zion. And when she came in that morning, I said to her, Les, let me ask you a question. I, I said, do you think that I have any walls? And, and she chuckled. And I, I knew that I was in trouble, but can I tell you that I really believed that I didn't because I will tell you I'm an open book. What you see is what you get. I'm not afraid to share my life. I will tell you my deep, dark secrets. I really have nothing to be ashamed of because I've been delivered. I've been delivered and set free. I've been redeemed. It's not who I am anymore. And so I will tell you that I really am an open book. And so I didn't think I had any walls. And it troubled me that she started to laugh. And so I thought, Lord, if you've determined to tear down the walls around the daughter of Zion, if I have any walls, I just give you permission to bring them down. And probably for the next, what, last year, we prayed specifically that scripture. We said, Lord, we're giving you permission. We know you're a gentleman. You're not going to go someplace you're not invited. And so we are giving you permission to tear down the walls that we have placed around our life. There's another scripture. You will know it. It says, see, I've engraved you on the palm of my hand. You know that scripture. But the second part of that scripture says, and your walls are ever before me. Oh, I really like that. Because we might be walling out other people because we fear their rejection. We might be walling out other people because we fear what they're saying about us. We might wall out other people because they're not approving us or they're, they're not affirming us. But I will tell you what, the Lord is aware of our walls. They're ever before him. And if we just give him permission, the Bible says that he wants us to be a wallless city because he wants to be a wall of fire around us. That is just good. It, it's just good because you see, in Bible times, shepherds, do you know what they would do at night when they wanted to go to sleep? They would build a wall of fire around their sheep because they knew that no predator, no enemy of the sheep would penetrate that wall of fire to get to the sheep. Oh, that's such a good picture because he says, the shepherd, the good shepherd says, I want you to, to be a wallless city. I don't want you to protect yourself. You see, in Bible times, cities were protected by big high walls around them. That's why we, we know Jericho had a massive wall around it. I think there was something, Dave, do you remember, like six chariots could, could, could sit across these walls. And that's how thick the walls were, and they were really, really high walls. It was an impenetrable city. Oh, some of you are sitting here tonight, and you're an impenetrable city, and you feel really safe, and you're, 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 you're silly enough to believe that you can actually protect yourself from rejection and from, from fearing man and, and what man can do to you. You think you can protect yourself with that wall. Rock on with your bad self. It doesn't work. He wants you to be a wallless city. And he, dear one, promises to be a wall of fire around you because he understands what you and I don't know, that the fear of man will prove to be a snare. But he who trusts in, leans on, confides in, and relies in the Lord will be safe and set on high. Do you know what happens when we're set on high? It's a fortress. It is a place of safety. It will be a high place for us. There's a scripture that says, uh, you know, talks about fearing man. Let me just find it here. I just love it. It's Isaiah 51, 12 through 13. It says, I, even I, am he, is, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid 
of a man who will die and the son of man who will be made like grass and you forget the Lord, your maker. It's interesting, I was looking at some scripture uh, today that was, the, you know, scriptures that were referencing people who feared man. Uh, turn over to John chapter 12 and look at verses 42 through 43. I understand we're supposed to get a really bad snowstorm tonight, and so I'm going to get you out of here early, I promise you. But I just want to look at a few more scriptures. John chapter 12, verses 42 through 43. And yet, in spite of all of this, Many, even of the leading men, the authorities and the nobles, believed and trusted in him. It's talking about Jesus. That, 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 that the leading men, the, the, the men in authority, the nobles, they trusted in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. For fear that if they should acknowledge him, they would be expelled from the synagogue. For they love the approval. Oh, church, don't miss this. For they love the approval and the praise and the glory that came from men instead of and more than the glory that comes from God. They valued their credit with men more than their credit with God. You see, when we love the approval and the praise of man more than we love pleasing the Lord, it will cause us to compromise our convictions and validate, uh, violate what we know is right. I've seen it. I've seen it in action, in conversations. I, I've seen people sit with, with others while they're gossiping and ripping on a friend, and while they may not be saying anything, their presence there really violates their conviction. They know it's wrong, but they sit there anyway. We see it with Steve, with... Um, with Saul, the, the word says that Saul never picked up a rock when Stephen was being stoned, but the Bible says that he was there giving his approval. He never had a rock in his hand, but just his presence was giving the approval. And church, I'm just going to tell you this. Your fear of man will put you in a compromising situation with people that when others are gossiping, you will not call them out on it because you fear you're going to be the one on the other side of that gossip. Or if I say something, maybe, just maybe, they won't like me and I'll become their next victim. That's what fear of man does. It'll prove to be a snare. Here these men were. They believed in Jesus, but they didn't confess it because they were afraid of what the Pharisees would do to them. That they wanted to please man more than they wanted to please God. Some of us do that in our relationship with Christ. I can't, I can't say that I'm a Christian. I can't say that I go to that Bible study because what will people think of me and they might reject me? Or I can't say that I'm friends with that person because what will they think? They don't like that person. And so if I, should, if I act like I'm a friend to them, they might reject me too. Think about that. Think about that. We know somebody's wrong and they're behaving wrong and, and they're doing things they ought not do and, and they're saying things they ought not be saying and we are like all smoochy, kissy kind and we don't want them to, to not like us because we might be the next one they talk about. And we've compromised truth and we've violated what we know is right in order to gain the approval of man because we don't, we don't value the approval of God more than we value the opinion of man. We will ignore what he says is right to gain the acceptance of the people around us. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. God's way is the right way. Turn over to 1 Samuel 15, verse 24. We see that Saul lost his throne. 
because he feared man more than he feared God. Verse 24 says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, before I, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Paul says in Galatians 1.10, I really, really like this one. Galatians 1.10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Church, we've got to stop worrying about what people are saying. And what if they don't like us? What if they don't agree with what we're saying? We are met to seek the approval of one and one alone. To seek the approval of the nail-scarred hands. That is who we need to seek. That's the approval we need to seek. And guess what? We already have it. We already have it. I read, I think it was Dr. David, David Jeremiah. Don't quote me on that, but I think it might have been him who said, the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he wondered if our fear of rejection wasn't no, it wasn't rooted in the fact that we know that we fall short of the glory of God and we're seeking to be affirmed and approved knowing that. And we fail to understand that Christ on the cross of Calvary paid so that we can be free, that we are now accepted in the beloved, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that we are accepted and approved because of him. We don't have to strive. We don't have to try to earn it. We're already accepted. You say, well, Rhea, <laughs> I want to be liked. I don't like when people dislike me or say unkind things about me. Let's see what Jesus has to say about that. Turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 22 through 23. Blessed, happy, with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation. To be envied are you when people despise and hate you. And when they exclude and excommunicate you as, as disreputable and, rev, and rot, rev, revile and denounce you and defame and cast out and spurn your name as evil and wicked on the account of Son of Man. Rejoice and be glad at such a time and exalt and leap for joy for behold, your reward is rich and great and strong and intense and abundant in heaven. Blessed are you when people speak ill of you. When people hate you on account of my name, he says. When people hate you because you stick up for my word. Because when people hate you because you're living my word and they don't like it and they can't pull you down to where they are. Blessed are you. To be envied are you. The fear of man brings a snare. But whoever leans on, trusts in, and puts his confidence in the Lord is safe. Is safe. And set on high. Isn't it interesting that when Peter um, denied Jesus, you'll remember the story that Peter said, I will never deny you, Jesus. And Jesus said, you know, by the time the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And, and Peter's like, never, I would never do that. And, and you know the story. He gets out and, 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 and they're, they're ready to crucify Jesus. And, and he's in that little court area. And, and somebody says, oh, you're with him, aren't you? And Peter says, no. And three times he denied Jesus. And why did he do it? The fear of man. 
interesting to me that Jesus warns him ahead of time and he says, Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. How was Satan going to sift him as wheat? He was going to put a little fear of man in front of him. Because fear of man will prove to be a snare. Why do we do that? Why do we change who we are to please man and gain their approval? You say, well, Rhea, then what is the solution to not fearing man? First of all, we need to repent of fearing man more than fearing God. And then we need to view God. We need to increase our view of God and decrease our view of man. We need to understand we don't need to fear him who can kill the body but not touch our soul. We need to instead fear the one who can take the body and the soul and throw it into hell. And third, we need to know that we're approved in God and aim to please him and him alone. Turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want you to look at verses 1 through 6. I'm going to wait till you turn there because it's super good. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanliness, nor was it in deceit. But we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Even so, we speak not as pleasing men, but God, who tests our heart. For neither at any time did we use flattering words. You'll do that. You'll use flattering words if you want to, to, if you fear man. Neither did we use flattering words, as you know, for a cloak of covetousness. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Paul's saying, you know what? I didn't change who I was or the message I was bringing to gain approval. I'm not looking to please you. I'm looking to please God. Well, I will tell you every weekend I leave a conference. Every night, every Monday night, I leave Bible study. I will say to God, did I say everything you wanted me to say? I am not here to, to decide if you like what I said or if you could receive what I said. I am only concerned about pleasing one. Did I say everything you told me to say, Lord? Because that's all that matters to me. If you leave here and say she's a lunatic and she's way off her rocker, I really don't care. Because I am standing here to please one and one alone. Paul's saying, I didn't aim to please men. I was aiming to please God. And therefore, I did not change my message. I didn't change who I was. I wasn't seeking glory from men. You see, we seek glory from men when we change who we are to get their approval. We seek glory from men when we climb the corporate ladder and we think I need another uh, letter behind my name or I need more money in my bank account. I need a bigger house so I can keep up with the Joneses and people think I'm all that in a bag of potato chips. We seek glory from men well, when we come into a room and, and we're listing off all the good things about ourselves because we want them to know it. Are you aiming to please men or are you aiming to please God? Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear or dread? The Lord is my refuge and the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
oh, I just want to tell you, there's so much more uh, that, that I want to, to just say to you. But I just really want to challenge you. Are you living your life fearing what man will say about you? Are you dressing so that people like you and think you're beautiful? Are you looking to get affirmation from people? Are you looking to excel at your job so that you can hear, well done, hey, you're so good, I, I appreciate you so much? Do you need an upfront position so that you can be noticed? Do you serve God to serve him or do you serve him to get a pat on the back? Do you listen to conversations you should not be listening to and participate in them because you fear that if you say anything that against it that they will reject you? That is fear of man. Do you not talk about God because you think, what will they think if I do? They're going to think I'm off my rocker. Okay, well then don't. Fear man more than you fear God. But I'm telling you, this life is brief. Brief at best. It's a vapor at best. Do you understand that? Davey and I were talking tonight. He went to visit somebody in the hospital this afternoon. And I said, Dave, what would happen if we really lived our life, everything we did in light of eternity? How would that change our life? If we really believed that, that, that fearing God was more important than fearing man, that pleasing God was more important than pleasing man, what would our life look like? Do you know what? I'm really not going to care. I love Kelsey to pieces, but I am really not going to care what she said about me or what she thinks about me when I stand before God. Because it is going to be me and me alone in front of him. <laughs> it's going to be God and me, not God and me and Kelsey, not God and me in the opinion of everybody else I wanted to please. It is going to be God and me alone. God, did I please you? Did I please you? Are we living our life to please him? Because when we please other people, and there's nothing wrong with pleasing other people, don't get me wrong, but when you get your validation from doing that, when you get your worth from doing that, when you need that more than you need the next breath that, that you breathe, that it becomes a snare. When you lose sleep because somebody doesn't like you or somebody said something mean about you, when it can either make or break your day the way somebody looks at you or the way somebody treats you, when you walk into a room of people and their reaction to you either makes or breaks your whole day, I trust I'm telling you, it is the fear of man. Do you not just long to hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Because I promise you, there is nothing that this world has to offer that can compare to that. Because that's what we live for. That's what we should be living for. To hear his well done. And you see, we can do that because we, we need to come to a place where we understand that we are already approved in him. <laughs> I don't need your approval of me because I'm already approved of God. I, I don't need you to validate me because I am created in the image of God. I'm an image bearer. I don't need you to, to affirm me. I am affirmed all in that right there that I'm an image bearer, that I bear 
his image. I don't need you to tell me I'm good. I already know he said I was good. When he created me, when he knit me together, he said it was good. Do you know that the Bible says that when you were born, he made mention of your name? Oh, this is so good. Do you know what that word mention means? Oh, Kels. He found you worthy to be praised. That's what it means. Look it up. It's so good that the day you were born. See, that's good for somebody like me because I was born out of an adulterous affair that my mom had. (laughs) The world has a name for somebody like that. And so I needed to know that I was okay, that I might have been conceived in an affair. But the day I was born, God made mention of my name. He found me worthy to be praised. Do, Do you understand that? Do you understand that? That on the day you were born, he found you worthy to be praised. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet we go to somebody else and and we make them our mirror. Tell me I'm valuable. Tell me I'm worth something. Let me catch my reflection in you. One last story. Did you ever go to a fun house or uh, an amusement park where they have a house of mirrors? Tricky stuff, isn't it? I hate them. Uh, you know, or, or did you ever go to a place where, where you have this mirror and you look at it and you look really, really skinny? I love those. <laughs> but the house of mirrors is really interesting to me because the, the whole purpose of a house of mirror is to confuse you, to get you in there and trap you so that you can't find your way out. And it's distorted. These mirrors are all distorted. They, they reflect an image that really is not true. That mirror that I look in and I'm super skinny is a distorted mirror. It it gives me a distorted image of myself. And oh, dear ones, when we fear man and we look to them to reflect an image, our image back to us, it will always be a distorted mirror. And the enemy is using that to ensnare you, to trap you, to confuse you, and to make you lose sight of who you really are. It's a trap. Let me flesh it out for you. This week when you go to work and you hear somebody ripping on somebody else and, and you know that if you say anything or call that into account, they might not like you, say it anyway. This week when you're feeling rejected and you walk into a room and, and it feels like they're acknowledging everybody else except you, <laughs> Just smile and love them anyway because you know you're accepted in the beloved. You see, when I don't need you to affirm me, I'm free to love you. Because no matter how you respond to me, no matter how you uh, react to me, I'm not needing anything from you. I know who I am. And so I'm free to love you and love you well. You see, loving isn't always sappy, smoochy. Loving sometimes is saying a hard thing. Leslie and I have that kind of relationship where uh, she'll say to me, you know what, Rhea, not good. The other day I called her and said, hey, we need to talk about something. Not good. You need to look at this in your life. We have that kind of relationship, do we not? It's good. It's good. And it's because I'm not looking to her to affirm me. And love doesn't always say smoochy feel good things. Love calls people up higher. Love, love says, you know what? That's, that doesn't look good on you. You need to look at that thing. See, we confuse what love really is. 
this week, women, when you are looking in the mirror and you don't feel like you're beautiful or you feel like you need a man to affirm you, remember who you are in Christ. And men, this week when you go to work and, and somebody else seems to be getting ahead and you're not making the money you want to make and, and you wish you could you, you'd be more successful or, or you're working really hard and staying really late and, and your whole identity is in that job and, and excelling in that job and that's where you find your value and your worth, oh, can I just tell you to find it in Jesus? Because you don't have to strive with him. You don't have to put in late hours with him. You are already accepted in the beloved and dearly loved by him. This week when your spouse is kind of growly and doesn't give you what you think you need from them, free them from those unfair expectations and get what you need from God. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. One last thing. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. As we talk these next couple weeks about the different snares that the enemy sets, I want you to always keep in mind that there's no snare that you're in that he will not free you from if you ask him. And so if you're struggling with the fear of man, ask him this week to deliver you from it. Ask him to give you the courage to face the things you need to face. Ask him to show you who you are in him. To affirm you, to make you feel loved and accepted by him. To, to give you such knowledge of that, such revelation of that. So that you don't need it from somebody else. Because surely, absolutely, positively, my God will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Would you just pray with me? Father God, I just thank you and I praise you for who you are. I thank you that you are mighty to save. You're mighty to deliver, Lord God. And surely you will deliver us from the snare of the fowler. Lord, I pray for those who are entrapped tonight. I pray for those who are caught in the claws of the snare of the enemy. Lord, people who are caught in addiction, people who are caught in despair, people who are caught in hopelessness, people who are caught in rage and anger, people who are caught in sexual immorality, people who are caught in materialism and greed people who are caught in fearing what man thinks of them. Lord, I pray that you would deliver them, that they would cry out to you and that you would hear from heaven and come and heal their land, Lord, that you would free them like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Thank you that you're a God of the impossible and so no trap. It's too difficult for you. Make us aware this week of the bait that the enemy uses to entice us and ensnare us. And Lord, help us to take the way of escape that you so freely give us. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe. 
a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about RIA or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both encouraged and challenged to go deeper and grow stronger in your walk with Christ.